If you would take your scriptures, turn with me to the book of Zephaniah, third book from the end of the Old Testament, Zephaniah chapter 3. We'll be reading the entire chapter. Zephaniah 3, would you give ear to the reading of God's word? Woe to her who is rebellious and polluted to the oppressing city. She has not obeyed his voice. She has not received correction. She has not trusted in the Lord. She has not drawn near to her God. Her princes in her midst are roaring lions. Her judges are evening wolves that leave not a bone till morning. Her prophets are insolent, treacherous people. Her priests have polluted the sanctuary. They have done violence to the law. The Lord is righteous in her midst. He will do no unrighteousness. Every morning he brings his justice to light. He never fails, but the unjust knows no shame. I have cut off nations. Their fortresses are devastated. I have made their streets desolate, with none passing by. Their cities are destroyed. There is no one, no inhabitant. I said, surely you will fear me. You will receive instruction so that her dwelling would not be cut off, despite everything for which I punished her. But they rose early and corrupted all their deeds. Therefore, wait for me, says the Lord, until the day I rise up for plunder. My determination is to gather the nations to my assembly of kingdoms, to pour on them my indignation, all my fierce anger. All the earth shall be devoured with the, the fire of my jealousy. For then I will restore to the peoples a pure language, that they all may call on the name of the Lord to serve him with one accord. From beyond the rivers of Ethiopia, my worshipers, the daughter of my dispersed ones, shall bring my offering. In that day you shall not be be shamed for any of your deeds in which you transgress against me. For then I will take away from your midst those who rejoice in your pride, and you shall no longer be haughty in my holy mountain. I will leave in your midst a meek and humble people, and they shall trust in the name of the Lord. The remnant of Israel shall do no unrighteousness and speak no lies, nor shall a deceitful tongue be found in their mouth. For they shall feed their flocks and lie down, and no one shall make them afraid. Sing, O daughter of Zion, shout, O Israel, be glad and rejoice with all of your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away your judgments. He has cast out your enemy. The King of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. You shall see disaster no more. In that day it shall be said to Jerusalem, Do not fear, Zion, let not your hands be weak. The Lord your God in your midst, the Mighty One, will save you. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you with His love. He will rejoice over you with singing. I will gather those who sorrow over the appointed assembly who are among you, to whom its reproach is a burden. Behold, at that time, I will deal with all who afflict you. I will save the lame and gather them who who were driven out. I will appoint them for praise and fame in every land where they were put to shame. At that time, I will bring you back, even at at the time I gather you. For I will give you fame and praise among all the peoples of the earth when I return your captives. Before your eyes, says the Lord. May God add his blessing on the reading of his word. Let us pray.
Father, you have told us everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. For man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that you desire. You have told us we are not merely to listen to your word, but to do what it says, lest we deceive ourselves. To only listen to your word is to be like a man who sees himself in a mirror and forgets what he looks like. We need to look intently into your word and learn, for it is only in your word we can find freedom for our souls. Guide us today in our study. In Christ's name, amen. We find ourselves at the place in this book where we can't in any way miss that God's judgment is retributive and doesn't always hold a promise of restoration. It's clear. God at times chastens men to turn them away from themselves to him. But other times this punishment is strictly retribution. What we learn about the judgment is it has a character of rightness that shows in reality. It shows what is received from God's hand in the way of punishment. It shows that it is always deserved, be it by nation or by individual. It doesn't matter what form of sin men fall into. It will cause them to be devoured as they destroy the order God intended they should live in. They can expect nothing less than rebellion will be judged. Zephaniah has given a very small sign of hope for all of God's, for all who come to God's anger with his little word, perhaps found in chapter 2, verse 3. He goes on from there to offer encouragement to any who will seek the Lord. In chapter 3, we come to an even bolder statement of hope as he declares in verses 15 and 17, the Lord has taken away your punishment. The Lord your God is in your midst. You will find no clearer statement of encouragement, even in the New Testament. You hear this and rejoice, but you must understand Such chastisement has its limits. God will not strive with man forever. The end is coming. It falls on some in every generation. In reading Jonah, we hear that this city of Nineveh repented and was spared for over a hundred years until the days of Zephaniah. Zephaniah shows the day of the Lord to be a great time of judgment. This is the principle we must take away from this. O. Palmer Robertson, in speaking of this day, says, It's like the day when the Lord brings his creation and covenantal plans to their fulfillment, and in that he gives a just repayment for all of the deeds done in the body. We see in this divine act a final judgment against the rebellion of man. At this point, there is no hope given of restoration. Most people are repulsed by the idea of a retribution, but this does come from Scripture. This, there is a truth to the idea of an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. The message of Zephaniah shows this. What the wicked do will be punished in like ways. Jesus was very gracious in turning this idea around when he gave you the golden rule, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. 
you live now in such a way so others won't have to seek retribution. Let's turn to chapter 3, verses 1 through 8, and learn more about this concept of retributive justice. First, we will see it applied to all of God's people. Second, we will hear its effects on their leaders. Third, we will notice the presence of God is always near. Fourth, we shall learn of the patience of God in these matters. Fifth, we will come to understand God's actions in this justice. It's amazing to see this city of Jerusalem, God's holy city, where God allowed his name to reside could be the city Zephaniah is speaking of in these verses. How could it have gained such a dark character? The city which had such blessings of grace poured out upon it. How could it have become so corrupt? Yes, there was a purpose behind God allowing it to come to such a place. It was to show you, the generation upon whom the fullness of time has come, that the law could not make anything perfect. Therefore, the prophet begins his warning to them with this, verses 1 and 2. Woe to her who is rebellious and polluted to the oppressing city. She has not obeyed his voice. She has not received correction. She has not trusted in the Lord. She has not drawn near to her God. This city, this city that was called to be faithful to God, has become nothing short of a harlot. She shames herself. She is rebellious and polluted. The words he uses in this woe, retribution, and pollution all go to give us a glimpse of what this city has done. She has violated the covenant God made with her to be the home of his name on this earth. What a privilege she was given. John Calvin says they lost sight of what true religion was, and that is teachableness. This is a very important point. Worship is to learn from God. You're not worshiping right unless you're learning. If the word of God's not being proclaimed in the worship service, it's not a worship service for the right God. We need to be learning because that's what God has called us to do. Learn more about him. We're to enjoy him. We're to love him. We're to, to, to fellowship with him. The only way we can do that is through his word. These people have come under his judgment. They have stubbornly and obstinately refused to do the will of God. They have abused the privilege that was theirs to have God's word, therefore to have his protection. They have defiled themselves of the things and ways of this wicked world. They have become unclean to do the things they were called to do for God. These people engaged in the practices of those people who lived in the land before them. God sent them to destroy all of the wicked and evil practices of these people. These types of sins, the shedding of innocent blood, the worship of things out of the imaginations of men, the improper sexual practices, the oppression of the poor and weak, these were all abominations before a holy God. Instead of removing these terrible things from before God, they enhanced them. They practiced them, even in the temple of the God. You must understand, sin is the fullness of and defilement of people and places that make them odious to God. 
That's exactly what these people have done in their own lives. And they did them in Jerusalem, God's holy city. This is all very bad, but it gets worse. Not only do they do these terrible things, but they engage in every activity they can in order to provoke God. They deliberately walk in a disrespectful and contrary way before him. God sent prophet after prophet to them. He sent those prophets that they could hear the word of God, but they would not listen. They would not accept correction. God gave to Israel his own word through these prophets, but they would not hear, they would not trust in his word. He told them over and over that if they would trust in him, he would deliver them from their enemies. We're given the same message today. If you want salvation, what do you have to do? You have to place your hope and trust in Christ and in Christ alone. He sent Christ to do for you everything you could not do for yourself. Your salvation is in Christ and in Christ alone. That's what he's trying to tell these people. He gave through his law all of the ceremonies and feasts and regulations that would allow them to draw near to him, but they would not. They stood at a distance. They told the Almighty God. They didn't need him. They didn't want him. What a terrible thing to do to the God who created you and called you. You have to stop. You have to stop and ask yourself, Has God ever so blessed another city as he did Jerusalem? Has another nation ever heard the voice of God? Is this a unique city? The answer is no, it's not. Since the founding of Jerusalem, God has spoken not to just one city, but to the people of this world. Isaiah 45, 22. Look to me and be saved, all you ends of the earth. For I am God and there is no other. Revelation 22:17. And the Spirit and the Bride say, Come, and let him who hears say, Come, and let him who thirsts come. Whoever desires, let him take the water of life freely. This message is universal through the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what we're called to do is to go out into the world and bring this message, this message of hope to a lost and dying people. All men of this world are called to hear and believe, to believe and repent. The United States of America cannot pretend it has not heard this glorious message of salvation. It cannot act as though it were deaf to the warnings of judgment. We have the word of God. We have churches all across this nation. And just as God called the people of Jerusalem, he has called us. We have even more than they did. We have the very one, the very one he sent to do for us what we could never do for ourselves. We have Christ. Christ who came to live the perfect life, to die the atoning death, to win the resurrection victory. But we must open our ears and listen We must confess the guilt of the blood we have shed through the millions of abortions allowed in this nation. We must stop worship grounded in imaginations and entertainment. 
We must reform our sexual morals and end the adultery, fornication, homosexual practices that are rampant and this drive to gender-affirming surgeries. We must end the oppression of those who are poor and weak. We have to stop the mutilation of children. These people neglected the true worship of God and they paid a terrible price. We as a nation under God must repent for we're doing the same thing. Savannah, having brought an indictment against this city, turns to those in leadership. He charges them with failure to lead the people in God's way. Verses 3 and 4. Her princes in her midst are roaring lions. Her judges are evening wolves that leave not a bone till morning. Her prophets are insolent, treacherous people. Her priests have polluted the sanctuary. They have done violence to the law. Just as there was a little hope for Jerusalem, there's also hope for us. If we turn back to the book, the book he gave as our guide to a life of peace and confidence. Zephaniah says, these people of Jerusalem saw their officials become ravenous beasts who would attack and destroy anyone who stood against them. That sound familiar? They were greedy and left nothing for anyone else. They consumed all and had no compassion for anyone. These are the princes, prophets, priests, and judges appointed by God. They are all condemned. He begins with the civil leaders. These princes are despicable in their behavior. They have abused their positions of trust, their trust so that they can enrich themselves, so they can oppress the weakest and poorest of the land. They were called to be shepherds instead. They have become lions and wolves. They are feeding on the livelihood of those whom they were to serve. The judges of Judah decided the cases concerning the law of God. When they made a decision, it became a precedent by which all other cases were decided. Zephaniah says these men did violence to the law. In other words, they refused to rule according to the standard which was God's law. They made decisions based on the wealth and prestige of those coming before them. This is the depth of oppression. These men are, were oppressing the weak and the poor. Prophets and priests have been the most guilty of all. They were led to lead the people according to God's word, but instead, instead they have led them astray in the worship of false gods. They are arrogant and treacherous men. There have always been struggles throughout history between false prophets and the true prophets of God. It's no different today. There are so many false teachers who work hard to tickle the ears of all who will listen to them. They have everything they can. They, they do everything they can in order to make you feel good so you will continue to give money to make their lives easier. They're arrogant and think they can, they're smarter than everybody else. They become ravaging wolves, devouring everything they can. The problem Zephaniah had was there were so many false prophets that his voice was almost drowned out. We must be careful today to listen to the voice of God as it comes to us through the word 
and not let the voices that shout from radio and TV to cause us to be caught up in the deception. There is only one place to hear the truth, and that is through the scriptures God has given us. We cannot allow anyone to draw us away from those scriptures. We find this corruption is still very much a threat to us today. We hear about men in the pulpit engaged in sins in their lives even as they preach. They seem to have no shame. They refuse to step aside and deal with their sin. There is no way, absolutely no way, they can be true to God's word while living in such sins. This only goes to remind us that the corruption of Zephaniah's day is still with us. It's here today. Please understand this. Those who fail in their proclamation of the true gospel cannot be considered ministers of righteousness. Anything good they do is only by coincidence and it is not by design. The good done by disciples, by disciples of the devil, has only one purpose. One purpose alone. That's to deceive the elect. It never comes from any pure motives. Christ addressed this same thing in Matthew 23. When he pronounced the seven woes against the scribes and Pharisees of his day. In his conclusion of these woes, he says of Jerusalem the same vivid description of ruin Zephaniah gives. There will be no escape from the judgment of God for those who hear the truth and decide to ignore it and go their own way. This is what makes having a church with godly men leading it so very important. It is what makes those in leadership understand how important their work is and how they must work hard to stay in God's word for the lives of many, many are dependent on them. From verses 3 and 4, we see a rampant injustice at the hands of the people. In verse 5, we see a God who in the presence of his people always is there doing what is right for them. Verse 5, the Lord is righteous in her midst. He will do no unrighteousness. Every morning he brings his justice to light. He never fails, but the unjust knows no shame. God is righteous and is found in his church. Zephaniah says he never does anything wrong. His justice is always fresh and there every morning. He doesn't fail. He will not fail you if you keep your trust in him and follow his word. He says every new day proves he never fails. You can trust in God for he will be present with you if you're placing your hope in Christ. If you are worshiping him as called to do in the scriptures. But this is not true of the unrighteous. They are following their own desires and imaginations and doing so without one bit of shame. They don't care what God's word says. They make up their minds and live by their own wits. If something is not clear to them, they just conjure up some mythological fancy, some superstition that sounds good to them, and follow it without shame. Please understand. 
God cares that his people know his righteousness. He is always showing his justice. This is the great example given to Israel. God promised he would be in their midst and he would always be faithful to them. This was the call of God to his people and it is still the call to you. Be holy because I am holy. He continually sent prophets so his example would always be fresh, morning by morning, proclaiming his truth every day. Matthew Henry asked, what more could have been done to his vineyard to make it fruitful? Just as in the garden, God did everything to make it easy for Adam to make the right decision. But we know in the garden man made the wrong decision. So people of Jerusalem made the wrong decision. They have followed the desires of their flesh and ignored the examples of the holy God. How could they do such a thing? Because they had dead spirits. They had dead spirits. They were lost in their sins and trespasses. We have help they didn't have. We have the Holy Spirit living in our hearts. But everyone here knows, even with the Holy Spirit living in your heart, how easy it is to make the wrong decision. The wicked know no shame in what they do. But the believer, the believer in his sin, should feel that shame and feel it very strongly. Over the years, God set before Judah some great examples of his justice and judgment. All of these were to bring warning to them of what was in store for all who disobeyed his law. Verses 6 and 7. I have cut off nations, their fortresses are devastated. I have made their streets desolate with none passing by. Their cities are destroyed. There is no one, no inhabitant. I said, surely you will fear me. You will receive instruction so that her dwelling would not be cut off despite everything for which I punished her. But they rose early and corrupted all their deeds. Before he lays out the details of this coming judgment and the inevitable destruction it will bring, the Lord gives a little history that shows his patience. You may note here, the Lord begins to speak in the first person. In these verses, we see the integrity of nations violated, commerce shut down, cities that want bustled with activity are silenced. Mr. Robertson rhetorically asked, does the experience of other nations teach you to nothing? Zephaniah says their fortresses are devastated. The strongest part of the wall, the corner towers, are left in ruins. The streets are deserted. Cities that once were filled with people are empty and lie in ruins. Filled with nothing but worthless rubble. Many nations have risen to power and been seen in their day as unstoppable. Surely Nineveh fits this for over three centuries. We tend to read about these nations and condense their history to only a few years, but many of them lasted for centuries. It is only because of the hand of God that their course has changed. God came in and changed the course of history to show his power over men, to punish evil, to protect his people. 
He used every one of these incidents to show his people and to show you today the absolute need of men to turn from their own corruptions and follow his way of righteousness. He sent Jesus Christ into history to show you the exact same thing. Jesus came to live the perfect life required by the law for any man to approach him something no man could do on their own. He went to Calvary's cross and suffered the terrible wrath of an angry God on behalf of all men, all men who would open their hearts and believe in him and their ears and become obedient to his word. There is no way, no way any man can approach God without coming through judgment. Only those who accept the blessing of the substitution of Jesus' life and death for their own will find a place with God in heaven. This is because it is only in Jesus you can face the judgment of God and survive. This is the hidden message in the passage of this letter of Zephaniah. He declares you must fear the Lord and accept his correction. You must be righteous to come to God, and Jesus is the only way into that righteousness. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. To come, you must come confessing your sin. You must acknowledge that you're a sinner who does not want to listen before you can begin to grow in the righteousness provided only through Jesus Christ. Once before in the flood of Noah's day, the consequences of wickedness were seen. The same sinful actions and attitudes are in the world today as they were in Judah in Zephaniah's day. God has been speaking to Judah about her sin and showing through her attitude the problem all men have when it comes to being obedient. This is not anything that will be corrected in men in this lifetime. So what are you to do? What's he calling you to do? Verse 8. Therefore wait for me, says the Lord, until the day I rise for the plunder. My determination is to gather the nations to my assembly of kingdoms, to pour them on my indignation, all my fierce anger. All the earth shall be devoured with the free fire of my jealousy. While it would seem that the focus of this verse should be on Jerusalem, it's not. Zephaniah turns his attention back to a universal judgment. Yes, Jerusalem has done everything it can to incite God to judgment. But the prophet knows that this is also true of all unregenerate men. God is sending his wrath. It's coming against the whole world. What we see is that the persistent rebellion of Jerusalem is typical of all men. Therefore, the punishment is coming on all men. God calls men to wait for this day, coming day of judgment when he will testify against them. To whom does he make his testimony? This is a question that's really not answered. Most likely to the host of heaven along with the nations of the world. All will hear this indictment. All will be subject to the terrors of this coming day. There will be none who can stand on that day of their own strength and refute God's testimony. 
If you think you've got a good enough excuse that you can put it before God, you better stop and think again. No man will be able to endure that day. None will be able in and of themselves to stand when the Almighty God appears. God makes it clear on that day, all the earth shall be devoured with the fire of my jealousy. Yes, Jerusalem will be a part of that destruction. There will be a final day of judgment. It is coming. Jesus, when he shows the terrors of that, this judgment, he makes the destruction of Jerusalem and the end of the age for all nations one and the same thing. He shows that when armies surround Jerusalem and its destruction is near, then, then the time of punishment and fulfillment of all that has been written will be here. We see a picture of that with the destruction of Jerusalem by the Romans in 70 A.D. <clears throat> it was also true of the destruction of by Babylon in 586 B.C., which is what Zephaniah is writing about. This letter clearly shows that everything written about in ages past has a message for us today. We must be careful to examine these things and learn from them. We're told to wait for the day. This doesn't mean the wait will be long or tedious. It means to wait in trust of God that this day will arrive, that rebellion will be judged. You must not be led into doubts. You cannot allow the persistent failure to fear God by others, especially by those who claim to know him, to make you question his truth. God never does wrong. He shall not fail. You have no right to question his justice. Each day, each new day, will reinforce your faith. Mr. Robertson says, on the rightly appointed day, he shall come to testify even against those who bear his name. The only way to stand on that day of testimony is to stand in Jesus Christ. You must come to that day assured that you have placed your hope, your trust in Jesus Christ and all he did to place you under the forgiveness of God. Trust in him. Trust in him and in nothing else. For he alone has the power to save your soul and the words to assuage the wrath of God. Let us pray. Father, you have told us that we have not because we ask not. When we do ask, we ask for the wrong reason because we want to consume it on our own lust. Only by your grace can we come with a right heart to ask of you anything. We know, O oh Lord, you oppose the proud but give grace to the humble. Help us to submit to you. Help us to resist evil and come near to you because you promise to come near to all who humble themselves in your presence. Grant that we might wash our hands and purify our hearts that you might lift us up that we might be strengthened and encouraged in our faith. We ask these things in Christ Jesus' name. Amen.